Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I'm a Dynasty Freak. That means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all my teams 365 days a year so do you so let's talk some dynasty episode number 248 it's going to be week four dynasty takes week four in review first of all let me say i apologize for not being here last week making the podcast i am back from relaxing time at the columbia river gorge for my 22nd wedding anniversary my wife and i do a fun tradition every year where one person plans the trip and keeps it a secret from the other one the whole time. So I had no idea where I, where we were going until I was literally on the plane, but enjoyed just staying on the coast there between Washington and Oregon. Great time to hang out. It was good to be back in Austin now, and particularly good to be back on a Sunday in front of my TV watching all the NFL action, even though I had a pretty rough week overall in my dynasty leagues. We'll get to that here shortly. But let me just give some of my overall thoughts about week four from a dynasty perspective. Some of my thoughts on players that I think you should pick up off the waiver wire this week. And then finally, some thoughts on some trades. We had quite a few trades that took place in my nine dynasty leagues, or 11 total leagues, and some two two redraft, but I'm only talking about the dynasty trades. So here we go. Observations overall from week four. One, I'll just call it offensive woes. Uh, The Steelers and the Bengals offenses, man, they're broken. Uh, They're taking fantasy teams down with them while while they're broken. Uh, The Bengals have had some of the worst offensive outputs of the season this year. And they're the league worst in yards per game, with 236 total yards per game. To put that in perspective, last season they averaged 354 yards per game, so they are currently down 118 yards compared to the previous year per game. So Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins are all, in our minds, every week starters in Dynasty Leagues, but they're just averaging, each of them respectively, Burrow 9.7, Mixon 10.5, Jamar Chase 10.8, and Higgins 7.7 points per game. That's terrible. Something's wrong. And I don't think that it can be blamed solely on Burrow's calf injury. Pittsburgh, you know, they're actually in kind of a similar boat. Ranked 29th in the NFL in total yards per game with 236 yards compared to 323 yards. I think it's 256 yards rather than 253 yards. They've got 87 yards different from last year, uh, the average that they were making per game. Uh, Kenny Pickett, um, he's averaging 12.5 fantasy points per game. But if you take away that one very long, you know, easy touchdown pass where George Pickens went 72 yards, then you take that out, and then he's back to scoring the exact same amount as Burrow per game, 9.7 per game. An entire offense is ruined if a quarterback can't even score 10 points per game. Uh, the Bengals and Steelers, that's who they are right now. Uh, Pittsburgh, you know, has worsened matters too for dynasty managers because they continue to split their backfield evenly, really almost 50-50 exactly, between Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Harris is averaging uh, 55 yards per game and 6.6 fantasy points, while Warren is averaging 53 uh, total yards per game and 7.5 fantasy points. So pretty much an even 50-50 split with about 55 and 53 yards between them. Warren's just scoring about one point more in fantasy just because he's more involved in the passing game. It's a 50-50 split, uh, making hard, you know, for dynasty rosters, people having to decide which of them they're going to play. I know I have a league where I've got both of them on my roster, and I've just got to decide every week which one, or am I going to do both and just hedge my bets or what? It's a pretty deep league. We've done uh, some of all that, 
and it's pretty pretty frustrating. You know, Pickett and Higgins, you know, they're likely have removed themselves from lineups for a few weeks after they sustained in injuries this week. So at least dynasty managers don't have to make those uh, pretty difficult start sit situations with them. But I think all these other players, you've got to start to think about start sit questions with them where they used to all be just every week starters. Um, I know uh, I would probably only say that Jamar Chase is the one who I would make an exception to. I feel like you have to start him no matter what. But every other Steeler or Bengal, they're, they're start-sit decisions right now, depending on the depth of your league. Second thing I noticed this week is uh, surprise quarterbacks and rookies. I've been very impressed by uh, two rookie quarterbacks playing for teams that have their, uh, or two new quarterbacks with on, that have landed on new teams and how they're uh, throwing the ball to some of their rookies, little underrated rookies. That, I'm talking about Baker, Baker Mayfield first. He has Tampa Bay off to a three and one start, and the only loss that he had was a very competitive game against the undefeated Eagles. So he's got him looking pretty good, and he's really, you know, because he's played well, he's kept the dynasty value of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin steady, and he's even elevated the value of Kate Auden, who caught one of the touchdown passes this Sunday. Evans and Godwin, you know, they're they're going to age out eventually, uh, which is why I'm actually really intrigued by Trey Palmer, who caught the second touchdown of the season uh, on Sunday. Palmer's snap count has increased weekly, 75% on this last Sunday, 75% for Palmer. And he's going to give him more snaps in the coming weeks if Mike Evans' uh, hamstring injury lingers. He was a favorite target uh, in the preseason for Mayfield and the backup quarterbacks there. And so I think his role is just going to continue to increase. I was surprised to see 75%. Trey Palmer got a touchdown, uh, didn't do much more than that, but his snap count is increasing. Similarly, another quarterback that landed in a new spot was Josh Dobbs. Of course, he was traded to the Cardinals at the very last minute right before the week one started. And the Cardinals, whom everyone thought was going to be the worst team in the league, they've actually been really competitive in every single game that they've played. And it's been in large part because of how well Dobbs has played. And Dynasty managers in super flex leagues that snagged him off the waiver wire right there before the season started, uh, they're going to be pretty happy until Kyler Murray returns. But we don't necessarily know if that's in their plans to have him return. Dobbs, you know, solid play has kept Marquise Brown's dynasty value level and has actually increased the dynasty value of Michael Wilson, the team's third round draft pick and rookie who scored twice on Sunday, and he played 70% of the snaps. And so he's second on the team in receiver snaps just behind Marquise Brown, and he could become a startable player. Dynasty roster is here pretty soon. Uh, everyone likes a redemption story. We like seeing, you know, the late round rookie people hit. We like seeing quarterbacks that we thought were dead, you know, come back and be you know, have influence and help their teams. And so we're seeing that uh, both in Tampa Bay and in Arizona, and it's impacting some of the rookies that, you know, dynasty managers were excited to think about and talk about. Another rookie I'll talk about is I'll say Houston. We have a solution, not a problem. We have a solution. C.J. Stroud, man, he's the real deal. Uh, he's making the Texans relevant in the NFL and in, and in dynasty leagues. Stroud was, if you remember back, was my top-ranked rookie quarterback in this year's class, and he's proven me right. Only Cam Newton has thrown for more yards in his first four games. That's crazy. Stroud is averaging more than 300 yards passing per game. And Nico Collins was the primary benefactor this week, as Tank Dell was last week. The dynasty managers who have been patient with Collins for these three years, now in his third year, he's finally going to become a reliable starter in lineups. Pretty exciting. Uh, he's definitely been Stroud's top target, with nine or more targets in three of the four, uh, three of the four games so far this season, nine or more targets. And he's averaging now more than 100 yards per game. From a fantasy perspective, Damian Pierce, he's really the only disappointment on this team. But he's just not going to be needed that much 
if Stroud continues to be so effective passing the ball. I expected, as expected and as I hoped, Tank Dell was slowly creeping into the snap count to overtake Robert Woods. On Sunday, Woods had just one more snap than Dell, just one more. And so I think next week's going to be the week. Dell's going to completely overtake him, and it's going to be Stroud to Collins, Stroud to Dell. What a bright future they're going to have together. That's pretty exciting. So if I want to say I was right on C.J. Stroud, I'll have to do this too. Uh, next I'll say I was wrong. Um, almost every week I'm going to have a I am wrong take, something that I feel like I got wrong and I have to admit when I'm right. Um, if I'm going to admit when I'm right, I have to admit when I'm wrong, and I'm going to say I was wrong on Devon. It's going to be hard to stop saying A-Chain. Devon A-Chain, <laughs> whatever his name is. A-Chan is what I guess he's wanting to say now. Uh, it's not that I was super low on A-Chan. Uh, I had him ranked 11th in my rookie ranking, so it's not like I was super low on him. It's just that I had Zach, uh, Zach Charbonnet um, ranked one spot ahead of him and drafted Charbonnet twice ahead of A-Chain when he was on the clock too. And so I had that choice twice in both times. I chose Zach instead of A-Chan, and now I'm starting to regret it. Uh, I still think that Charbonnet has time to prove himself. Uh, he has, you know, all of his snap counts have been increasing and his workload has increased every single week, so we'll see what happens on Monday night, the game that uh, takes place tonight. Still, A-Chan has crushed it the last two weeks, and he looks like he's now the lead back in Miami's very powerful offense. I still have some of the same concerns that I had about him, primarily thinking that the Dolphins would limit his workload just due to his size, and they have. But the fact is, it, it hasn't mattered. With his big playability and in his in super creative offense, he can produce ridiculous fantasy points with just a few touches that he does receive. He only had 11 touches on Sunday, but that netted 25.5 fantasy points. And then the week before, he had 22 touches, so double the amount, but he also got double the fantasy points, 49 fantasy points. He's averaging more than two points per touch over the last two weeks. Now, six touchdowns is going to help a lot in that regard, <laughs> the six touchdowns that he scored the last two weeks. But still, it's not to discard what he's done, I have to admit that I'm wrong, and I wish that I had drafted uh, HN instead of Charbonnet, and so far, that's that's one that I got wrong. Next thing I'll say is I'll call it sudden change. That was a little pun, sudden change. <laughs> See what I did there. It's a changing of the guard in Denver. I think that's uh, catching Dynasty Manners by surprise here that Cortland Sutton has really become the wide receiver one in Denver ahead of Jerry Judy. Uh, what's worse for Judy is that he might not even be the wide receiver two anymore, especially in the red zone. Uh, Sutton caught a touchdown, his third touchdown of the season from Russell Wilson on Sunday, as did Brandon Johnson. He caught his third touchdown from, and Judy has none. Sutton and Judy are averaging the same amount of yards per game, but Sutton has six more targets and has had three more touchdowns. And those differences amount to 11.6 fantasy points per game for Sutton compared to 7.1 points per game for Judy. And that does account for that missed game that he had too. That's divided his game by three and Sutton's by four. And he's still four and a half points more is he scoring uh, than Judy. Wilson, you know, entered the week as the eighth highest scoring quarterback in fantasy. That's pretty wild. This 24-point fantasy day, you know, while it was in comeback mode, it's probably still going to keep him ranked among the top 10 after this week. And while his team is 0-4, he's not really the problem. He's, you know, a viable fantasy starter again after looking like he was cooked at the end of last season. So it's pretty fun uh, to see him bounce back. The Denver defense is so bad that Russell's just going to have to keep flinging it around this season and keep the Broncos in games. But as they do, pay attention to the snap counts in the coming weeks and pay attention to Judy's involvement as well. Judy was uh, had a season low in snap percentage with just 63% compared to Sutton's 83%, while Marvin Mims' snap count rose from 24 
two weeks ago to 35 this last week. Uh, Judy, sad to say, uh, used to be a darling and one of the top drafted wide receivers that year. He's just uh, moving down the depth chart here, it looks like. Next would be, I'll call it bearish. Uh, this week's benefactor of Denver's terrible defense was Justin Fields and the Bears. Uh, according, uh, after looking terrible the first three weeks of the season, Fields could do pretty much nothing wrong on Sunday, throwing for 335 yards and four touchdowns. And if you had the uh, low-cost Fields Comment stack on your roster or on a DFS roster, you benefited significantly because Comment scored two of the touchdowns from Field, and he tied DJ Moore with a team-high nine targets. Uh, the Bears' best weapon, DJ Moore, best weapons in my opinion, DJ Moore and Khalil Herbert finally got their breakout games uh, with a you know with a touchdown catch each and 131 and 122 yards respectively. Sadly, this breakout day. I think says more about Denver's defense than it says about the Bears fixing their offense. Uh, they do well to give Herbert the ball more, take pressure off of fields. Uh, they finally gave Herbert the ball um, 18 times compared to the last three games. He had nine, seven, and seven carries. Terrible. But when you give him the ball, he's a player that's startable if they would give him the ball and commit to the run. He's one of those players that takes a lot of touches to kind of gain momentum, and they're just not giving it to him. When they did, he runs for over 100 yards again, so and gets a touchdown catch. As for DJ Moore, um, I'm sure that most dynasty managers have to start him, but if I had a roster full of, uh, of receivers, like I prefer to kind of build my rosters out with receivers, DJ Moore is a benchable player for me. Uh, he's just too much of a boomer bust player. If I get, if Khalil Herbert could get the ball, you know, know that he was going to touch it at least 15 times, he would be startable. Justin Fields, I guess you have to start, keep starting just because of what he could do with his legs in any given game. But like I said, I feel like this was less about the Bears fixing themselves and more about the Broncos' defense just being terrible. And so I'm not going to read too much into this crazy game other than to say start everyone against the Broncos this season. I think I need a few more weeks to see if the Bears have actually fixed anything. I honestly don't think that they have. Last overall observation, and this is a little bit, little bit more personal one, but I had a bad week after uh, my most rostered, some of my most rostered players, they're the ones to blame. So I started seven and four in weeks one, two, and three. So pretty good start there. And this week, though, I'm going to finish four and seven, largely because Miles Sanders, T. Higgins, and Chris Olave didn't show up, and they're some of my most rostered players. I've already uh, talked about the Bengals' offensive woes, so that, you know, keeping Higgins down uh, even before he got injured in the second half of that game. So I won't go much, talk much more about that. But Miles Sanders, uh, he's really yet to help my team win because he's not done anything great the first three games, but he's also not helped my team lose, primarily because he just had such a high touch volume as well as such a good high role in the, in the passing game that he's just, you know, scored, you know, 10, 12 points, something like that to help me just steady my roster. And I'm not sure if it's because of his lingering injury, but he had his lowest number of targets this week, three, compared to six, five, and nine the previous weeks. And his snap count was the lowest he's seen, 43%, compared to 57, 62, and 65% in the previous weeks. That's pretty concerning. Uh, his decreased involvement and his, you know, anemic uh, Panthers offense that's just been terrible this year had me really wanting to say, um, I'm not sure that we can trust these guys anymore. Um, then you take uh, Olave. Uh, there's no way that I'm taking him out of my lineups, but I am very concerned that the first game that Alvin Kamara is back, in his first game back, he got 14 targets. That's crazy. In a game where it compared to Olave's six. So Olave got six targets, where in the previous three games he had 10, 11, and 11. So first game back, what's happening here with Alvin Kamara taking all this? 
His one catch on Sunday was a killer for me and hurt all my teams. It's very possible that Derek Carr's shoulder prevented him from throwing deep. Or maybe Tampa Bay's defense is that good. They actually have played really well against people this year. But if Carr is injured, the coaches need to get him out of there. Um, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of coaching and some changes that are made when they watch the film of this pathetic offensive showing on Sunday. Uh, no one has ever caught more than more passes for fewer yards than NFL history. Did you hear that? That's crazy. Kamara's 13 catches for 33 yards is the worst. It almost seems like it's impossible to have that happen. The Saints know that they can't win that way. they got to go back to the film and see that Olave needs more targets than he got on Sunday. And Kamara needs less. All right, those are my observations overall. Let's talk about some waiver wire because there are a few players worth considering this week. So week four waiver wire, uh, first player I'd be interested to pick up is Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, not only did Kenny Pickett's injury look severe enough to make him miss a few weeks, don't know that for sure yet as I'm recording on Monday afternoon, uh, but his recent poor play is also going to give Trubisky a chance, if he does get to play, a chance to win the starting job if he plays well. Uh, he's a must-add in Superflex leagues for sure. Not necessarily in one-quarterback leagues, though. Uh, he's available in a few of my Superflex league, and he's going to be the player that I bid the most on this week for sure. Next would be Braxton Berrios. Uh, Berrios was a big part of the offense on Sunday with River Craycraft sidelined. He played 39% of the snaps. He had six catches, including one for a touchdown. They even gave him a carry one time. So from a dynasty perspective, I don't think he's a great addition, you know, for your team long long term. Uh, but he could, you know, be a help to, you know, if you're in a deeper league, he could be a player that's worth rostering, especially if Hill or Waddle get injured. Waddle already has once this year. He's a player that I'd look to add in deep leagues this week. Next ones I'll put two together would be Equinemia St. Brown and Tyler Scott, largely based on Chase Claypool's situation with the team. St. Brown uh, capitalized on Claypool's absence, earning 49% of the snaps and making his one you know, fantastic catch, just one catch. He could become Chicago's wide receiver three for the rest of the season. That said, uh, from a dynasty perspective, I'd much prefer Tyler Scott. He only played 19% of the snaps, didn't catch a pass, but they did give it to him twice on runs because they know about his speed. Uh, Scott was one of my most drafted players last year, and he's sitting on the taxi squad of most of my teams where I drafted him. Others, though, when it came cut time, I had to drop him, and so he's still out there. In leagues with taxi, without taxi squads, I'd actually still consider adding him just to see what happens at the back of this roster because it looks like, for sure, Claypool is not coming back as a bear. And so opening up a spot here for the wide receiver three, and again, like I've reminded people, too, um, that uh, Mooney is in a contract year, and so he could be off the team within a year. So a couple of dynasty possibility uh, guys to pick up there. Next player I'd be interested in, just because he's a wide a running back too, is Ronnie Rivers. Uh, Kyron Williams finally finally gave up some of his snaps this last week because he'd been dominating all the snaps. But finally this week, they gave him a little bit of a breather and it was Ronnie Rivers who came in. Uh, the fact is that he is the uh, Rams RB2. And very few Dynasty rosters have him on their team, and every RB2 in the NFL needs to be rostered in Dynasty Leagues. And so Ronnie Rivers, a player to pick up. Two more with some interest would be Nick Westbrook-Akina. Uh, Westbrook-Akina scored a touchdown this week, capitalizing on the absence of Traylon Burks, perhaps. Uh, but that's not the only reason, though. He's actually played more snaps than Burks, even in the two previous two weeks when they were all on the field together. Uh, the Titans' poor passing game definitely limits his fantasy ceiling, and he's not you know, a great Dynasty ad. But he could be a factor in lineups and deep leagues, someone that I'm going to consider adding in a few leagues uh, for, sure, for sure. Nick Westbrook-Akina from the wide receiver for the Titans. And finally, one more possible add would be Isaiah Spiller. 
Uh, Spiller's rostered in almost all of my leagues, uh, but he's available in a few. One savvy manager actually picked him up uh, this Sunday in one of my leagues right before the, the games kicked off. So many managers are still uh, resting on his college production and his pre-draft hype, hoping that he's going to somehow get in the mix. But even with Austin Eckler out, um, it's just been Josh Kelly who's been getting the bulk of the work. Um, Spiller has been uh, getting a little bit more work the last two weeks. I doubt that a breakout's coming for Spiller since he couldn't beat out Kelly in the first place, and Eckler should return after their bye week this next week. But he's still a player that I want to at least keep on my radar in those few leagues where he's not still rostered with some dynasty manager holding out hope for this, you know, probably second or third round draft pick that they had. All right. Now let's talk about a couple trades, one that I made and then a couple others that took place in several of my leagues. Five trades happened this week in week four. First one was C.J. Stroud in a 2024 first round pick for Josh Allen. And so I made this trade for Stroud and this first round pick in a league where my team is one of the worst. <laughs> it's a very bad team. And I need to go into real full rebuild mode. And so the team that received Josh Allen is a top contender. And so I think that it's a win-win trade. As I mentioned already, Stroud is, was my highest ranked quarterback in this class. And he's proven me right so far, at least in the passing game. Uh, he's perfect quarterback to base my re rebuild efforts around. Now I just need to hope that the guy that got Josh Allen from me uh, is not the piece that takes him to a championship, but somehow his team falls apart so I get a little bit better first-round pick. Uh, but that's one of the things you do to rebuild. Uh, take a young quarterback that I'm confident in and a first-round pick. Sadly, had to give up Josh Allen, who went nuts this week, but so did CJ. Next would be uh, Keenan Allen was traded straight up for a 2024 first-round pick. So in this league, what happened was there's an 0-3 team in the league who posted that his whole team was for sale. Uh, he's actually won the championship the last two years in a row, so he has a pretty good team. Uh, but he landed this first-round pick for Allen, who was picked up by a competitive team, but particularly a competitive team that has a very dire need at the wide receiver position. Last year in this league, I actually was the one who traded Allen to this guy, and he ended up winning the championship because he rode Allen during those great final weeks during the playoffs. I traded Allen for Elijah Moore in a second-round pick when that second-round pick turned into Jaden Reed. So Elijah Moore and Jaden Reed <clears throat> for Keenan Allen, and now a year later, Allen's traded for a first-round pick instead of a player in a second-round pick, like happened. Um, it's very impressive that Allen's value is rising again, even at his age, but it's rising and should be rising because the Chargers' new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, has featured Allen in new ways, giving him a hotter start to this season than he had in that hot end to last season. It's definitely fair to ask for a first-round pick for him right now, which is exactly what the Allen manager received. Next trade was the same team, Traded away uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, or someone traded to get Travis Kelsey in a uh, fourth-round pick for two first-round picks. One first-round pick in 2024, one first-round pick in 2025. So Kelsey in a fourth, so let's just say basically Kelsey for two first-round picks. So the same manager that sold Keenan Allen then turned around and sold Kelsey for two first-round picks. I think this was a steal of a deal. I see Kelsey as worth a first-round pick plus maybe a player or, or, you know, to be added to it or maybe a uh, you know, later round draft pick or something like that, but at least one first. But this rebuilding team got two first round picks for him, although not within the same year. But now that he made this Allen trade and Kelsey trade, he's got his own first round pick as well as two others. And then he's got a future first round pick. All he had to give up was Kelsey in a fourth. Uh, Kelsey definitely needs to make a difference on the team that, that added him for this trade because they're off to a one and three start. And so Kelsey needs to come in and do something pretty quick. They're this team is in particular is loaded at wide receiver, but I don't really think they have 
great strength at the running back position. So I don't think they have enough to win a title this year. Uh, so pretty pretty aggressive pick uh, for a team that I think still needs some help. Uh, not quite a contender, or at least doesn't look like it four games into the season. So I'll take the pick side of this trade. Next trade was an interesting one. It was uh, Tyler Boyd and Deontay Johnson traded for Zach Moss and Dalvin Cook. So kind of not any star players here necessarily. Tyler Boyd, Boyd and Deontay Johnson for Zach Moss and Dalvin Cook. So this strange, ta- uh, strange trade took place between two teams that hardly ever make trades. In fact, several uh, dynasty managers made some sarcastic comments on our group me uh, after they saw the trade, when they saw which two teams made the trade. They were like, what? These teams are making trades? Well, what happened here is both teams traded for need. Uh, one needed some running back depth. The other needed some wide receiver depth. And so that's why they made the trade. Understandable a little bit on both sides. But to me, Deontay Johnson is by far the best player in this trade. So I like that side of the trade just because of that. Boyd's probably just kind of a throw in. I doubt that he's ever going to see someone starting lineup unless Jamar Chase or T. Higgins get hurt, which Higgins has. So we'll see there. Uh, Dalvin Cook's career is nearly over. Zach Moss has done great things here to start the season. But it looks like Jonathan Taylor's coming back this week or if he doesn't decide to continue to, quote, hold in um, or get traded, Zach Moss is going to just turn to nothing once once Taylor comes back. So Johnson's definitely only going to help the other team after he returns from IR, but I think he's worth a wait. Best player in the trade, I like the Johnson side. And then finally, in a tight end premium league, this was the trade went down. David Njoku, Trey McBride, and a 2024th for Luke Musgrave. So one tight end, Luke Musgrave, was traded for two tight ends, Njoku and McBride, and a fourth-round pick. Tight end heavy trade. Like I said, it was made in a tight end premium league. Uh, one team gave away his tight end depth by giving away two tight ends to go after Musgrave. Uh, Trey McBride has really yet to prove anything, though he was a top you know, tight end prospect in his class. Musgrave, on the other hand, he's already proven uh, more than McBride has in his first four games in the NFL. Even so, I think I prefer the package side of this deal. Because I think, you know, Njoku, while he struggled to live up to expectations this season, I still think he's going to be the most productive tight end of this whole group over the next few years at least. Plus in this league, it's a taxi, we have a taxi squad, so a fourth-round pick is a little bit more valuable in leagues where you have taxi squad, can wait on someone for a year. Anyway, that was a lot to pay for Musgrave, but I can see why some dynasty managers are, are really excited about his future and would be willing to put together a package deal like this. Um, pretty wild trade in a tight end premium league. All right, that is week four in the books. Hope that you enjoyed that. Thanks so much uh, for listening. I do appreciate it. That's going to be a wrap this week, my freaky friends. Make it a two-way conversation at any time by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. Much better on email than Twitter, so that's the best way to contact me. And I would love to talk with you and hear about how your teams are doing. As always, I'd be honored if you would actually really take time. Do that for me, please. Don't skip. Don't skip over this. <laughs> take time to rate and review the podcast. Help this little independent podcast become more uh, heard, more viewed. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get free. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.